This is Energy Explained. I'm Reed Frazier. A multi-year investigation by NPR and the PBS program Frontline found there's a tragic and recently discovered outbreak of the advanced stages of black lung disease, known as complicated black lung or progressive massive fibrosis. Howard Berkus is the NPR reporter behind much of this investigation. He's been covering black lung disease for years. Berkus and his team found that coal miners in Appalachia, including some in Pennsylvania, are part of a decades-old problem that federal regulators could have but didn't address. Howard, thanks for joining me. Good to be with you. So let's start with something very basic. What is complicated black lung disease? Complicated black lung is an advanced stage of uh, the disease. And uh, basically, the stages are judged by the size of the what, what are called opacities, but, but basically it's damaged lung tissue, how big the, the sections of damaged lung tissue are, and how widespread they are in the lungs. And the lungs get damaged by the presence of coal dust, uh, or in the case of advanced disease, complicated black lung, we're really talking about exposure to silica dust, which is 20 times more toxic than coal dust alone. And silica dust is very easily inhaled. The particles are quite small and they're sharp. So when they're inhaled, they remain in the lungs forever. The lungs fight back by building up fibrotic tissue. Uh, That tissue continues to grow and grow and essentially makes the lung useless. One pulmonologist we spoke with described it as suffocating while alive uh, because the lung loses the ability to do what it's designed to do exchange oxygen and and, uh, breathe, uh, uh, facilitate breathing, Uh, because the fibrotic tissue uh, replaces healthy tissue. And one miner described the x-ray of of his lung as uh, making the lung look like a lump of coal. Um, I've seen lungs that have been taken out of miners who've had lung transplants uh, or for autopsies. I've seen photographs of these lungs and you know, they look like uh, burnt paper bags. Um, they, uh, uh, it becomes just this sort of mass of, of hard, crusty um, tissue that keeps the lung from doing what it's supposed to do. And just so people are aware, is there any cure or treatment? What is the prognosis when one gets this form of the disease? There is no cure. Um, it is fatal. Uh, either the minor will die from advanced black lung disease or from something else that is triggered by the disease, um, perhaps getting pneumonia or uh, some other organ failure, because the the disease really strains uh, the rest of the body organs. And um, uh, so there, there are complications that occur. And the minors are really susceptible to lung infections uh, and to pneumonia. So this disease is increasing in Appalachia, but you guys looked at some of the data um, of coal dust inside these mines. What did you guys find? We, um, you know, I had been looking at the occurrence of what we now know to be an epidemic of advanced black lung for a couple of years. And I'd been wondering, how could this happen if the regulatory system that was supposed to protect these miners had been working? It, it shouldn't have happened. Uh, so I decided to take a look at some data 
that shows uh, how often miners were exposed to excessive amounts of silica dust. And I looked at silica dust in particular because that is what appears to be connected to advanced uh, black lung disease. What we found is that uh, despite the regulatory system that was supposed to prevent excessive exposure to silica dust in particular, uh, there were 21,000 instances in the last 30 years uh, of excessive silica dust exposure uh, while miners were working. And even after the Mine Safety and Health Administration applied a, a formula that they used to reduce the exposure to silica dust, um, requiring the mine to actually take action. There were still 9,000 instances of excessive exposure. And even when uh, the mining companies were cited for uh, too much uh, silica, the um, uh, the mine inspectors noted in their inspection documents that 9,000 miners were affected. Uh, so this to me showed that the regulatory system uh, didn't protect uh, miners in thousands and thousands and thousands of instances. And that could explain the disease that we're seeing today, which not only is epidemic, but we're also seeing the largest clusters of complicated black lung that have ever been identified. So if I'm understanding this correctly, this disease outbreak is really concentrated in Appalachia, central Appalachia, Pennsylvania, down to sort of Kentucky. And it's because the coal seams that miners are digging into are thinner and they're cutting into more rock, resulting in more silica? I think that explains it in central Appalachia in particular. Um, there's something else that's going on too, which is that uh, we found that a lot of miners who worked as roof bolters, you know, they're drilling into solid rock to uh, basically pin the the roof of the mine to keep it, you know, stable, to keep it from falling, to keep rock from peeling off. And even though there's a system that, that is supposed to draw away the dust before it reaches their mouths, the first times that they turn on their drills, they can be hit with these bursts of, of rock dust, which is basically, you know, quartz and silica. Um, but also the, the system that collects the dust draws it into what's called a dust box. And miners have to clean out the dust box. And miner after miner after miner who worked as, as roof bolters told us that uh, the process of cleaning out those dust boxes exposed them to bursts of, of, of silica dust. Um, so uh, even beyond uh, the idea of small, smaller coal seams, thinner seams, cutting of rock, uh, just the regular work that roof bolters uh, were doing and other miners were doing underground exposed them to excessive dust, and especially if the mining company didn't pay attention to the things that exist to control that dust. And you spoke with uh, a man who had that exact job in Pennsylvania in mines uh, in Somerset and Westmoreland counties, which are just east of Pittsburgh, for reference. His name is Bernard Carlson. No matter how you filter, no matter what they filter, the fine stuff is what gets in there and cuts you up. And it ain't coming out. Once it gets in there, it ain't coming out. The black stuff sometimes will. But that fine silica dust, uh-uh. You're done. What can you tell us about him? Bernard worked 41 years uh, underground at five uh, different mines in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, he described 
getting bursts of rock dust while roof bolting and while cleaning out the dust box. The roof bolt operator in those years was getting the majority of the dust of anybody that's underground, especially the uh, silica dust from drilling into the roof because every time he lifted his jack, stab jack, to move over to put the other bolt in, there was a plume of dust coming out. Whenever you would lift yours, same thing would happen. Then you backed out and tried to get into the fresh air to dump the box and everything like that, but the dust was still into the atmosphere, and you were getting it. He also described exposure to lots of rock dust containing silica while doing other jobs in the mine. He was a supply man. He would bring supplies down from the surface. Um, He was a scoop man, and he'd be scooping coal and uh, moving coal, you know, back and forth, going back and forth. They did other jobs, worked on the belts. Um, And he described exposure in pretty much all of his jobs, although the worst of it was as a roof bolter, and that was one of his main jobs, you know, during his career. He worked up until... um, 2015. Uh, He was diagnosed in 2005. And so he did exercise his right under the law, which is if you know you have black lung, you have a right to actually get moved to a job that has less or no dust exposure. And he did do that for his last uh, few years in mining. He's also typical in another way in that he worked... um, eight to 12 hours a day, five to six days a week, a lot of long hours. And that's another factor in this uh, reoccurrence of disease and so much disease is that miners have worked many, many, many more hours in the last 10 or 20 years than they used to. Uh, So they had more exposure while they were working. And certainly uh, Bernard is an example of that. The coal industry is different than most industries because they have the right to say, hey, this is your schedule, it's a mandatory overtime schedule, and boom, you got to do it. And yeah, and there was no breaks in there. I mean, once you went went into the mine, you bolted for that full time. If you wanted to take a sandwich break or something like that, it was hurry up and eat a sandwich and boom, right back to, you know, because if the roof boulder isn't ahead of the miner, there's no production. The roof ball, everybody thinks the miner operator controls, no, it's the roof boulder that controls the speed of everything. Plus, he's got everybody's life in his hands because if he makes one mistake and don't put the right supports in, it could be it. So you talked to him about another aspect of this problem, which is the idea of cheating on the dust tests. What tests are mines required to take for dust and and what happens to allow these uh, tests to be manipulated? There are two basic uh, kinds of tests, at least up until 2014 when the regulations changed. Mining companies themselves could um, or were required uh, to sample the mine air for coal dust and um, quartz or silica dust and um, mine inspectors from the Federal Mine Safety Agency would come in uh, maybe uh, four times a year. They were required to inspect, and they would conduct uh, dust tests underground and um, twice a year on the surface. There was widespread cheating on operator samples of dust in the 1990s, a huge scandal, uh, indictments, some people went to jail. 
that diminished significantly since then, although every miner we talked to talks about ongoing cheating in the mines they worked in. Uh, when they were doing a dust test, they would make sure that the mine was the cleanest possible and that the miner who might be wearing the testing equipment uh, might even be moved out of dusty air into clean air, or they would hang the testing equipment in a clean air return. And there are instances of, of the testing equipment being left in the office or tucked into lunch boxes or put under coats. When mine inspectors would show up, miner after miner after miner told us that, you know, the mine would be the cleanest when a mine inspector showed up. They weren't supposed to know the mine inspectors were showing up, but often they did. What did Bernard Carlson think about, he's a black lung patient now, I mean, he's got this awful disease um, that limits his livelihood, basically. Um, what did he think now, after all these years, of the idea of cheating these tests and making sure they passed? You know, what What he told me is that he had to do what he had to do to keep his job. All the miners that I've talked to were in the same position. Yeah, all I was ever told was, make sure it passes. <laughs> That's as far as I'm going. <laughs> did you make sure it passed? Yeah. Dad or don't have a job. <laughs> There's always a reason they can get rid of you. There's something they can come up with. They may not have agreed with what they were asked to do in terms of cheating on dust testing, but if they spoke up, they felt that they were easily replaced, and so to keep their jobs, which are often the best jobs around in these mining communities um, with benefits you can't get in other jobs in those places... You know, they went along with it. And he has some regret about that. But he, like almost every miner we talked to, said, you know, if I didn't do what they told me, you know, they would have fired me. You know, the cheating on the testing. Um, do you regret doing that? Uh, to an extent, I do. Because I'm, I'm getting up in years, okay? And... There was a lot of young guys, a lot younger than me at the time. And did I hinder their health? There's questions in the back of my mind. Did I hinder what they're going to come up against in, in, you know, when they reach my age? But as far as myself, there's things that I did I shouldn't do, you know, things I regret knowing. But, you know, it's just fact of life. You make bad choices. So... One question I have is the the question of blame. I mean, do these guys blame anybody or is it the company or the government for not regulating or do they blame themselves in some weird way for, you know, their current predicament? You know, that's a question we asked each of the three dozen miners that we interviewed, you know, who do you blame? And we got a mix of answers. Some miners did blame themselves saying that, you know, maybe I should have worn a dust mask, although almost every miner we talked to who wore a dust mask said they didn't work. Many miners talked about how the masks blocked their breathing, were very difficult to work in, got clogged up really quickly. But some would say, you know, maybe I should have, you know, worn a dust mask more, or maybe I should have just walked out, or maybe I should have said something. But then they always note that they had you know, families that depended on, on, on them for their income. Others do blame mining companies. 
Some were very critical of the mining companies, say they didn't care about the health of their workers or the lives of their workers. It was just all about coal, coal, coal. We got to run coal. And some blamed federal regulators for not making sure that the companies um, obeyed the law and protected their workers. I should note that under the law, the mining companies are legally responsible for protecting the health and safety of workers. They certainly have a moral responsibility to do, to do that. But also under the law, the Mine Safety and Health Administration has a legal responsibility to make sure that mining companies are obeying the law and to make sure that their regulations are tough enough and rigorous enough to protect workers. Let's talk about the federal government's response to this. Um, MSHA, the Mine Safety and Health Administration, um, is in charge of protecting workers. Um, How have they regulated silica in the years since the the original mine safety laws passed? The law requires um, regulation of both overall coal mine dust and exposure uh, to quartz or silica. The problem is that the regulation of silica dust exposure is not direct. Uh, If there is excessive silica dust detected, uh, the regulatory response is to require the mine to lower the overall coal mine dust exposure, with the thinking being that if you do that, you then lower the exposure to silica. And our review of, of data kept by the Mine Safety and Health Administration shows that that did not work 9,000 times. Um, also, in the 19, well, going back to 1974, Uh, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health said that the uh, limit on silica was not tough enough and urged uh, federal regulators to make it twice as tough as it is and has been all these years. And then again in the 1990s, in the mid-1990s, NIOSH again repeated that recommendation and also said, you need to control silica directly. You can't do it through this indirect formula. It's not working. And uh, the Labor Department um, had its own advisory committee on, on black lung disease. And that committee said the same thing in 1996. You've got to control silica directly. And the silica limit needs to be twice as tough. None of that ever happened. It didn't happen in the Clinton administration. There was an attempt to do it. The mining industry resisted. There were other challenges that the agency faced at the time. Also at the time, by the way, the agency noticed a cluster of advanced lung disease among coal miners in West Virginia, rang the alarm, said silica was the problem, sent out an advisory to mining companies across the country. You've got to pay attention to silica. Um, This is, you know, more than 20 years ago. And it didn't happen in any administration since. There were no changes uh, in the Bush administration. And then in the Obama administration, there was this effort to tackle uh, coal mine dust, but any specific attention to silica was left out of the reforms that were enacted uh, during the Obama administration. Why? Well, it's a good question. Uh, you know, we posed that question to Joe Main, who was the head of the Mine Safety Agency during the Obama administration and was responsible for, you know, this big push to control coal mine dust and end black lung disease. And he said, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, meaning that 
you know, that he was still relying on this formula that had failed so much in the past. This formula that lumped uh, all coal dust as the same, even though silica is much deadlier than, than coal dust. That's exactly right. You know, silica is 20 times more toxic than coal dust alone. And it's not a one-to-one relationship. You know, you might reduce the overall mine dust, and that might bring down overall mine dust to acceptable levels, but it doesn't necessarily bring silica dust down to acceptable levels. Uh, And this is what they failed to recognize, even though it's in their own data. This is the thing that's remarkable to me. We saw it in the data. Why didn't they see it in the data? Or why didn't they do something about it when they saw it in the data? It could be that they didn't because 85% of the time the formula worked, but the 15% of the time that it didn't work, thousands and thousands and thousands of miners were exposed to this incredibly toxic substance that is easily inhaled and lodges in lungs forever. I know that uh, part of the thinking during the Obama administration was if we include silica, we have to justify it with scientific studies and we have to do all this additional work uh, just on silica alone. And the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, the agency that regulates all workplaces except mines, was working on a silica rule itself, had been working on one for 44 years. and um, 44 years? 44 years that OSHA had been considering a rule on silica, finally did get it through during the Obama administration. And there was uh, thinking at the Mine Safety Agency, well, we'll let OSHA do this first. Let them, you know, do all the research, do all the justification, and then we'll borrow all of that material when we do our own separate silica rule. Uh, but, But OSHA didn't succeed until the very end of the Obama administration. There was no time for the Mine Safety Agency to then pick up on that. And here's, here's a great irony. Right now in this country, every industry that involves the cutting of rock has that tougher uh, limit on silica exposure and silica is controlled directly or regulated directly, except for mining. Mining is the only industry in this country that doesn't have that direct approach uh, uh, for silica and that tougher limit for silica. It applies to every industry except mining. So the Trump administration has had a deregulatory bent on on a number of things, and especially the environment. How has the Trump administration proceeded with this issue, particularly silica? Um, the Mine Safety and Health Administration under uh, President Trump wouldn't talk to us. We sought interviews for a year. Uh, we did encounter... Uh, David Zateslo, who runs the Mine Safety Agency, he's a former uh, mining company executive and industry representative. Um, uh, we checked out his schedule. He made a rare public appearance at West Virginia University in September. And during his speech, he made a direct connection between this advanced disease that we're seeing now, progressive massive fibrosis, complicated black lung, and exposure to silica. And he said, silica must be controlled in his speech. And then afterwards, we went up to him and he completely contradicted himself, um, uh, saying that the science isn't in yet on the causation uh, of disease. uh, And that's why he wouldn't talk to us about this whole issue. 
Um, but it also helps explain why the Trump administration also has not acted on silica and appears to have no intention to do so. Um, the agency is uh, taking a, an, an, a look at the regulations that were changed in 2014 in the Obama administration. Uh, the regulation actually requires a sort of ongoing look to see whether they're effective, should they be doing more, should they be doing less, and and they are looking at that, but they have no uh, direct look at silica, and they have no um, proposal to enact a tougher rule when it comes to silica in uh, in mining. So since this story has come out, has there been any reaction from elected officials or people in the industry? Uh now that there's a Democratic House uh, and Democrats have the ability to call hearings, the chairman of the House Labor Committee, uh, Representative Bobby Scott, a Democrat from Virginia, has called for hearings on this issue. And uh, so we may hear more from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. I'm sure that the agency will testify at those hearings. That so far is uh, the only you know reaction we've heard about. Now there already were underway a number of of, of studies. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, when we reported the epidemic, and then they then confirmed it in 2016, they kicked into high gear with a range of studies meant to both quantify uh, the amount of disease. Uh, and to learn more about the causation, to learn more about the interaction of silica dust and, and miners' lungs. And there are some independent studies underway as well. Um, Congress also, after our reporting in 2016, uh, increased funding uh, significantly for black lung clinics, uh, which are now seeing you know, more and more patients. Um, so, uh, and that was a bipartisan effort. Um, so there has been some uh, response uh, to dealing with this, but so far the regulatory agency itself does not appear inclined uh, to do anything more than what it's been doing already. Are we to infer that things would somehow be different if a Democrat were in the White House right now? I mean, it did take them forever, seemingly, to do anything about it, but it did seem like under the Obama administration, they were planning to do something about the silica rule. To be honest with you, um, Democratic administrations were unwilling or unable to do anything about this before. So I'm not sure that it would make a difference uh, whether there was a Democrat in the White House now or not. Um, when it comes to this issue, administrations, both Democratic and Republican, uh, either were unable to act or failed to act um, when it comes to uh, silica exposure in coal mines. Uh, you know, Joe Maine, who led the Mine Safety and Health Administration in the Obama administration, um, and did, you know, did enact significant reforms on the control of mine dust overall. We should not um, undervalue that by any stretch of the imagination. Those are significant improvements uh, for mine safety and health. But, you know, he was the former head of, of mine safety and health for the United Mine Workers Union. Um, uh, so, a, you know, a very strong advocate for coal miners. Um, but maybe it was a political calculation. Um, 
I, I don't, or maybe it was a failure to see what is really there in their data, but, you know, silica was not part of that change in the Obama administration. What's the coal industry's reaction to your story and your reporting been and to this overall issue? Are they basically, uh, I'm to presume, are they fighting uh, additional regulations? The coal mining industry has uh, typically uh, fought hard changes in mine dust regulation. Um, The industry successfully blocked an effort to change mine dust regulation back in the Clinton administration. That effort did include um, a tougher approach to silica. The industry sued successfully. And um, there was also at the time an attempt to dismantle the Mine Safety and Health Administration by Republicans in Congress. In the Obama administration, again, the industry fought changes in the mine dust rules. But, and this I think is really important, the industry also said that silica should be the focus of new regulation. Now, this is a political kind of move and a practical one. They focused on silica because Silica was seen as a problem in Appalachian, central Appalachian coal mines that had a lot of, uh, you know, that had thin seams and a lot of the kind of rock that contained quartz and produced silica dust. So if the reforms were focused on silica, then they would be limited to those mines in that region and mines elsewhere would not have to uh, meet a new overall mine dust standard uh, that that didn't focus specifically on silica. You know, the, the mining industry itself specifically s- called for further regulation of silica during the Obama administration. Um, but I think the other thing to recognize here is that this could not have happened without the mining industry, you know, knowing about it. Uh, because when you cut rock in a coal mine, you're slowing down your mining machine and you're also... Uh, causing the the bits, the cutting tools, to wear down much more quickly. Um, you're mixing rock and coal together, and you've got to separate the rock from the coal in order to sell the coal. They knew what they were doing in terms of cutting more rock, and they, they knew what the results were in terms of more silica dust. Without any additional regulation, they could have changed their practices. They could have decided... Uh, maybe to slow down the mining machine so they wouldn't cut as much uh, rock or create as much dust. They could have decided, you know, to bypass those really thin seams um, and and avoid cutting so much rock and creating so much dust. They could have done things on their own to prevent this, and they didn't. You've been covering this for a long time, um, and I'm just curious. Covering a topic like this is very serious. Um, a lot of the people that you're interviewing are probably going to die of this disease. Uh, how has this reporting affected you and how you look at things? Um, unfortunately, there's nothing in this reporting that surprises me to the extent that I've done a lot of investigative reporting over the years that involve uh, particularly federal regulators not responding to a danger that is right in front of their faces. Um, You know, I do know that federal agencies in particular face a lot of uh, pressures from multiple directions, from from industry, uh, from their parent agency, in this case, the Department of Labor, 
which may have different uh, a, a different agenda or, or, or different priorities than the agency itself, and from the White House in particular, the Office of Management and Budget, where there are you know political operatives who are trying to protect the president from an action that could be taken that could hurt the president's chances for re-election or or for uh, midterm elections in Congress for getting the president's party members in Congress reelected. And uh, and I think those things are unfortunate because they take the focus away from what's really important. And that that is the uh, health and safety of the workers. I mean, that's what these agencies exist, you know, to do. And the the workers themselves, uh, the miners who are suffering, um, you know, this is just tragic. And the way I sort of deal with that is by knowing that I'm giving them a voice. Coal miners are among the most dismissed and demeaned people uh, in our country, I think, um, especially now. People love to respond to these stories by saying, well, if they you know, didn't vote against their own self-interest, um, as if, you know, voting Democratic instead of Republican would have protected them. That, you know, that I, I think our investigation shows that, uh, that that that's not necessarily the case. You know, I think it's important for people to have a better understanding of what these miners are going through, how much they're suffering, how it's affecting their families and communities, uh, what could have been done to uh, protect them, and to better understand the circumstances that they live in. So our ability to give them a voice, I think, is really important. And, uh, you know, in most cases, they're incredibly thankful that we've spent so much time with them, that we give them a voice, we put them on the air, we, we you know, we allow them to say what they think and they feel and they provide their perspective that's something that they appreciate and that's the least we can do. I'm not the kind that's going to give up. I'm not going to sit down and give up. And oxygen will be the last resort. Then's when I sit in an easy chair and say, enough's enough. <clears throat> oh, thank you for Do you have anything you want to add? Mm, no. Okay. No, not really. I, we pretty well covered everything, I think. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. Howard Burkus, uh, thanks so much for talking with us. I really appreciate your interest in this story. That was Howard Burkus. He's a reporter for NPR. That's Energy Explained, a podcast from State Impact Pennsylvania. State Impact is a public radio collaboration from WHYY, WITF, WESA, and the Allegheny Front, covering Pennsylvania's energy economy. If you have a question, go online to our Ask Us page on the State Impact website. Our producer is Andy Kubis. Scott Blanchard is State Impact's editor. I'm Reed Frazier. Thanks for listening to Energy Explained.